Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. Move mountains, we can walk it out and move mountains. of That's What She Said. This was recorded a few weeks ago, just in case anything seems out of date or crazy. Uh, And listen carefully for this one, because when uh, Nick Antoinette starts talking about um, impossible things, uh, that inspired some really, really, really big things for me, like the entire month of May big. And so you'll hear more about that later. I'm not selling anything. It's a personal project. uh, But it inspired some crazy, crazy changes for me. So I hope this does the same thing for you. I hope it inspires equal parts, just abject terror and exhilaration. Those are the best things. I hope it makes your eyes leak. I hope you learn some fantastic things. And I hope you go and love the shit out of Nicole uh, at the end of this. If you are on the fence about doing coaching with me, I've got one spot for 2018 left As far as I know, I don't think I'm going to open up Dominatrixing again this year. So one spot remains. You want to email me or go to kristenkelp.com slash dominatrix or just go to kristenkelp.com. Click around till you find coaching. It's everywhere. And uh, and talk to me. Talk to about what you would like to do, where you would like to go, what you see for yourself, and how you think I can help. That's k at kristenkelp.com. And we will make it happen if it's the right time. Otherwise, uh, next week I've got the All the Joy breathwork coming out, which is my um, breathwork for people that either tamp down joy or that are struggling with some form of depression, because I am very adept at depression strategies, as you might guess, having dealt with it for so many years. And one of the main things that I do for my depression for the past year has been breathwork, and it's been tremendously helpful. It gives me room within myself to breathe. I know, I know it's breathing, but sometimes your whole life just feels like it's constricting on the inside where no one can see. And breathwork helps me make space in my body, my soul, and my life. And so that is at breathehealrepeat.com and will be coming out next Tuesday, March 20th. Otherwise, sit back, enjoy, listen. I would love to hear what you think. I am at k at kristenkelp.com and I will see you next week. 
Hello, my peoples, and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. I have got Nicole Antoinette on the line. She is a hiker and what I would call a wild and wise human. She hosts Real Talk Radio, which has got over a million downloads in podcasting podcasting land. It's just plain good, and she's a, a gracious interviewer and a fantastic human, and I wanted to talk about all of that as well as um, the, the sort of reclaiming of the wild that she's been doing over the last few years that's been really interesting to watch. So, hi. Hi. Thanks for that. was a wild, wise woman. I'll take all that intro. That was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to have you here because, like, if I'm being very honest, very quickly, I can't imagine a worse thing to do with my time than to backpack 800 miles through a <laughs> desert, like in a, like we have, what do you mean? We have like no showers. We have no food. We have no people to talk to. We have no dog. We have no distractions here. Um, and so instead of being like, well, she just must be fucking crazy. I wanted to talk to you more about how that comes to be and what that means and what the wilderness has taught you, because I am not going to through hike any multi-hundred mile trails in order to learn what you know, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. It's definitely hard and like shit a lot of the time. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, can, can I swear? <laughs> you did totally swear. So uh, we start with um, you are perhaps always super outdoorsy and activity-y and exercise-y or no? What happens that gets you hiking? Yeah. Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> I... No, was not an athletic or outdoorsy kid at all. Um, I grew up in Manhattan and in London. So um, I live in Bend, Oregon now, which is smaller than those places and more outdoorsy than those places. But other than this, I've only ever lived in really big cities. Mm -hmm. And um, I joke that the most outdoorsy thing my parents have ever done is eat dinner on a patio. <laughs> like, this is not, <laughs> I have, you know, we didn't we didn't do, I, I have no memory of them ever exercising. Like it was, it was just not a part of my upbringing of like being active and doing things just really was not a part of my life at all. I was an indoor kid, you know, mm -hmm. reading and you know, that type of thing. I never did, um, any sports, any sort of organized activity. I never really even regularly went to the gym. It was the kind of thing that I would start and stop as I think a lot of, women do when they're, oh, well, probably I should get in shape, whatever that means, right? Or any of the nonsense um, that, go, <laughs> that can go along with body image stuff. But other than that, um, I was never really consistent about it. I never valued exercise activity, did not value <laughs> sort of outdoorsing. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I'm like one of the least likely people to have ever wound up being really active. Um, and I started running, running came before hiking. I started running when I was 26. So definitely as an adult, right? Like had basically lived my whole life, not, um, ever really being fit and active. And I could not run two consecutive minutes when I first started running. I was really a true, true beginner. Um, and running sort of came into my life in a roundabout way. I quit drinking and started running on the same day, which could be a much longer story that we can or cannot get into whatever mm -hmm. you want. Um, but running was basically my way out of the hole, I guess, for, you know, like a short, concise way to say it, that I really used running as a way to quit drinking. I had been a really public party girl, partying and sort of that whole lifestyle was, it was my whole social life, essentially. And so when I quit drinking, um, it wasn't just the absence of alcohol. It wasn't just the absence of drinking. It was really a huge life change. And it was essentially basically like switching one sort of addictive behavior for another, which I think is pretty common. Sometimes you like need to transfer your energy from one thing to something else. I think just quitting drinking would have been too much of a black hole for me. I don't know that the change would have stuck, but running was really helpful because it was so hard and it was so unfamiliar. I needed something that was going to take really a lot of mental and emotional energy and just to give me something else to focus on. And so that was sort of my introduction into just being more active in general was through running and sort of as a means of, I don't know, self-preservation. I think self self-care is often a phrase that I think comes across as really soft. You know, you hear self-care and you think of, you know, 
taking long baths or, you know, something like, which it can be as well. Like, don't get me wrong. I love taking baths. It's amazing. But I think at the heart of it, when I think about self-care, I think about really just being honest with yourself and giving yourself what you need at that time. And what I needed in order to quit drinking was to do something that was so hard that it literally felt impossible. Um, and I signed up for a half marathon, basically six months almost to the day from when I quit drinking. And that to me, I felt like I was more likely to sprout wings and fly to the moon than to ever <laughs> complete that half marathon. But I needed something that seemed impossible to sort of get me out of bed and keep moving forward. And um, hiking came later, but that definitely was my first introduction to doing active things. And I had always been quite a perfectionist and don't like things that I'm not good at. And running was the first thing that I ever started and wasn't good at and didn't quit. And that really changed my life. Okay. Um, so it seems like there, there begins the pattern of, I needed something that seemed impossible to get me out of bed and keep me moving forward. Um, that is the opposite of what most people need (laughs) to get them out of bed. Um, I think lots of us want the easy win or at least the, the reasonable expectation. And how does that running parlay into hiking? Yeah. Well, first, like quick on what you just said. Um, the nice thing about starting something that you're completely new at and completely terrible at is that you actually do have a lot of wins that are really quick because of course you're not going to run a half marathon or whatever right away, but it was essentially every week was the longest and the farthest that I had ever run. And so there was something that was really nice about, you know, um, even though running itself was, you know, really, really hard, especially at the beginning. And I thought, Oh my God, you know, I'm never going to get good at this. Um, just, there was something that was really rewarding for me about, wow, that's a minute longer than I was able to do this last week, right? Or, you know, that's a mile longer than I was able to do this a month ago. And that sort of stacking up of those little wins. And then it didn't always necessarily have to be, uh, you know, a, a sort of quantifiable win. There was also something, like I said, I mean, it was the first thing that I ever started and wasn't good at and didn't quit. And so there was a lot of self-esteem that came from really for the very first time, not breaking the promises that I made to myself that I was going to get up and go, even if I wasn't in the mood, even if it was raining, even if I was tired. And like those little wins psychologically was were so empowering for me. So I think that it doesn't have to be running and it doesn't have to be something, you know, that is a really big physical goal, but even like being able to do something where you're just kind of continuously showing up for yourself. I think that there can be a lot mm. of um, self-esteem yes. in that. Continuously showing up for yourself is so, so underrated. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so then how hiking came into play. Um, so I ran really seriously for about four years. Um, and it was, it was incredible. I got a ton out of it, out of it. I feel like everything, like all the life lessons that I really believe in, everything I learned about life, I learned through running, um, which I'm really, really grateful for. Um, but I kind of burned out on it. It was just after my four year soberversary and, um, you know, fitness wise, I was basically the fittest I had ever been. I was in incredible shape and I was training for what was supposed to be my first ultra marathon. And I was just kind of miserable. I had been miserable for about six weeks at that point. And when you're, you know, pursuing a long-term goal, there's always going to be days that you're not in the mood to do it or when you question why you're doing it. Um, And so I try not to take that stuff too seriously on a day-to-day basis because those are just our little feelings, right? They come and go. Um, But I do pay attention to if something has not felt right for a consistent period of time. Um, And at that point, you know, five, six weeks, that was the longest that I had ever not enjoyed running, especially when nothing physical was going on. And so I was on um, a long training run. You know, I think it was supposed to be two or three hours and I was about halfway through. So pretty far from my car at that point, I was doing an out and back run and um, I was just miserable. And I stopped halfway through on the side of the trail and I just burst into tears. And I said, okay, Nicole, if you couldn't post a photo from the finish line of this ultra marathon on Instagram, would you still do it? And it was such a clear <laughs> no that I thought, okay, I like you're done. You're done doing this. And there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with social media. I, I mean, I love it. I particularly love Instagram. But I think that there's a real difference between sharing things, like the sharing being just like an added bonus, right, of something that you're you know, you wanted to do anyway, um, that, you, that has like intrinsic value versus doing mm-hmm. something just to say that you did it. 
And for me, that felt kind of icky. And so I basically walked the entire way back to my car, which I had run all the way out. It took me quite a long time to get back to my car. And I used that time to just be really honest with myself about what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I realized that running had become something that I was afraid to quit because I was afraid that if I quit drinking that I would, or that if I quit um, running, I would start drinking again. And that also didn't feel good because I realized that running had become something that, you know, like I said, had brought me a lot of self-esteem and a lot of sort of personal power and had really allowed me to change my life. But it had then over the years become something that I felt trapped by because I didn't trust myself enough in my sobriety to not do it. And so then it felt like this thing that I had to do, which took a lot of the joy out of it. And so this was so a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was May 2nd, 2015, so a few years ago. And I decided that I was going to take a break from running. And I had never t- you know, taken a break over the four years, anything longer than a week or so. And I thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks. And it wound up turning into more than six months where I just didn't want to run. And that was a really hard time for me. Um, I, I mean, depression is a reoccurring thing in my life anyway, but, you know, losing sort of my outside time and all of those endorphins and sort of this schedule that I had kept to with running. And it just sort of felt like this, again, like a different kind of black hole. And a lot of the things that I had never dealt with when I quit drinking that I was sort of able to push to the side um, and getting into running um, <laughs> sort of came to the surface. Like eventually you have to deal with your shit, right? And like, so there were some things that I hadn't dealt with. And so that was... 2015 was a really, really hard year for me. And um, I always, even as I was taking the break from running and sort of giving myself the grace to work through that, I really did find as the months went on that I missed having a hard physical challenge. And it doesn't have to be physical, of course. I like that's an you know an able-bodied privilege thing to be able to say that you want to pursue something like that. And of course, that's a privilege that I have. Um, but there's no substitute for that for me. Um, I also like hard creative challenges and other things. But for me, there's no substitute for something that's really physical, especially you know with drinking. I had used it as a way to sort of numb out and be so disconnected from myself and my body for so long that having something physical that really did connect me into my body was really necessary. And so I was searching for something else. And I uh, I read a lot, and you know I'm always looking at what Amazon mm-hmm. suggests. as, you liked this book, so probably you should read this book, right? And I sort of go go down that rabbit hole. And um, it was right around the the holidays, the New Year, end of 2015 or early 2016, where um, I read a book called Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart um, by a hiker and wonderful writer and now friend uh, named Carrot Quinn, and it was incredible. And it was about um, her mm-hmm. 2013 through hike of the PCT the Pacific Crest Trail. And um, I loved it. And I sort of had heard about long distance hiking. I have another friend who had done the Appalachian Trail in 2011. Um, But the people I had heard, it was mostly men or, you know, people that were in their early 20s, just out of college, or people that were retired. And um, in the book, I mean, I think at that time, Carrot was in her early 30s. And she also had not had you know, this sort of super rugged, mm-hmm. naturey, outdoor, you know, upbringing. And so I really, and this obviously speaks to the importance of representation of all types that I really felt myself that I being represented by her. Okay, here's a woman who also is sort of a self-proclaimed internet addict and, you know, uh, didn't grow up this way and was completely new to the backpacking <laughs> yes. world is in her 30s and did this thing and didn't die. And I thought, huh, Okay. <laughs> um, you know, well, if she could do it, probably I could do it, which is why I think it's so important for so many different folks to tell their stories and for different stories to be amplified because we need to see ourselves mm-hmm. represented in, you know, in things in order to be able to relate to them, I think. And I had moved since moved to Oregon in that time span. And um, obviously the PCT goes through Oregon. And so um, it just kind of crept into my brain as, oh, this is maybe something that I could do. I mean, and I had literally never been camping one night in my life. Not like this was not, I had never done this at all. It was, you know, if I thought that I was more likely to sprout wings and fly to the moon than to run a half marathon, I mean, this was that times like a million. Because at least with running, you know, the running itself might be unfamiliar, but you do it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, even, you know, a couple hours, and then you come home and you shower and you eat and you do your regular life that it's, it's hard and unfamiliar. But the thing that kind of stuck in my mind about 
long distance backpacking was that every single part of it was unfamiliar, that it was a challenge unlike anything that I could imagine. It was skills that I didn't have, gear that I like didn't, you know, even know where to begin to purchase. And it's it felt sort of overwhelming in a good way. And it felt I felt about it the same way that I felt when I first started running of this seems impossible and it seems like a whole new world that I can read about and learn about. And what if I tried this and myself? So, and that's kind of where it started. I just love that you had literally never been camping in your life. Like you had no skills whatsoever. Like... <laughs> Literally none. Yeah, I in the lead up, the first the first hike that I did um, was in August of 2016. I did the Oregon section of the PCT, which is 460 miles, so basically from the California Oregon border to the Oregon Washington border. And in the lead up to that, I think it was maybe a month, maybe two months before, my husband and I went car camping for one. I mean, he had been camping and stuff. This he sort of like grew up in the woods in Minnesota. Like he had more outdoor experience than me. And we went car camping once for one night and uh, backpacking once for two nights, basically in the six weeks leading up to it so mm-hmm. that I could test my gear and just like confirm that maybe I'm not going to die. I mean, I did a ton of research also, um, you know, and I was really lucky that between Carrot and uh, my friend Zach Davis, you know, people who are ex- – I had – great mentors, right? That it wasn't just like, I'm just going to wander to the wilderness and hope that it's fine. I did. I'm a really good researcher, reader, but even that there's only so much that you can learn without actually doing it yourself and having the hands-on experience. So I basically tried to just learn as much as possible and make smart choices and then hope for the best really. So yeah, I went, uh, I slept outside a total of three nights leading up to that. But other than that, no, I had never, I had never done that ever in my life. And you were doing it by yourself. There's no like, well, I'll just go with a buddy and then it'll be fine because buddies. Uh, yeah, buddies are great, but no, I did it by myself, which was a very intentional choice. Um, and in retrospect, I'm incredibly glad that I made that choice. I have the tendency to give my power away really quickly, especially in situations where I don't feel confident. And I was very conscious. I mean, also that not everyone can just take a month off to go hiking, right? So there were some like logistical things of being able to even find a friend to go with. And, um, in you know when you're spending that kind of time together in potentially a tough situation, you can imagine it's better to be alone than to be with the wrong person, right? So I was yeah. really aware oh, yeah. of that too. Um, but no, I what I wanted from it, sort of the w- sort of centered around self reliance. That this it was really attractive to me. This idea of everything is up to me. I have to decide where to go. I have to look at the map. I have to decide how far to hike in a day. I have to know, you know, where to get water and all like all of the things that sort of go along with it. There was something really appealing to me about making the decisions myself or being forced to make the decisions myself. And I know that if I would have gone with someone else who was even, you know, slightly more experienced than me, I would have sort of defaulted to whatever they said or whatever they wanted, which, you know, it's great to learn from other folks, of course. Um, and I tried to do that as much as I could before I left, but I wanted the experience of it is just me. What are you going to do with that? And especially I'm quite extroverted and, you know, I host a podcast. I'm basically like a professional conversation haver. Mm-hmm. And so that was also appealing to me too of, can you be with yourself? Um, and so I don't think that I would have gotten what I wanted out of it had I not gone alone. And was the answer that you could be with yourself or was the answer like, oh God, no, it was terrible? <sighs> Both, I guess. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this came up a lot more on my second backpacking trip. Um, I did the Arizona Trail in uh, 2017. And that was a lot more of a solo experience. The PCT is pretty well traveled. Um, and especially if you go during normal through hiker season. So, I mean, I was only doing Oregon, but because of the time of year that I chose to go, I was, I would say maybe a week, a week or two weeks ahead of what's known as sort of the bubble or the herd. You know, the people who are, um, through hiking is essentially when you do an entire trail in like, you know, a hiking season, a calendar year. So these people were going from Mexico to Canada, you know, all, you know, 2650, I think is how long the trail is. So doing all of that. So I was meeting a lot of people who, you know, had been out there for three, four months, you know, had already done 1700 miles and I was on like mile one. Wow. Um, so it was a really interesting experience because I met a ton of folks, you know, I was lucky that pretty much everyone was really nice. I definitely made some friends, but you know, 
I was meeting people who were so fit. They were like hiking machines at that point. So you would meet these really nice people and then never see them again because they're hiking, you know, 30 plus miles a day and they're going really fast. And I have terrible blisters and foot pain and I'm like crying and I want to die. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, um, it was almost isolating in a different way where I wasn't completely alone, but I almost felt lonelier because there wasn't really anyone who could relate to what I was going through. Um, and when I finished, I was miserable every single day of that first trip. Um, there was some fun times, sure, but I cried pretty much every day. It was awful. It was, I thought it was going to be hard and it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And when I finished, I was like, burn it all down. I'm never doing this again. (laughs) This, this was a one and done, you know, basically F this forever. And, um, I was really disappointed by that because I knew people who loved this lifestyle so much. And a lot of what this lifestyle is about seems to be a really good fit for me. I love, you know, I would, I would own like no stuff if it were up to me until, you know, maybe my husband and I own a house now, but my entire adult life, everything I own fit in my car, you know, this idea of sort of true simplicity. You only have the things that you need. That really appeals to me. Um, I have found that I love being out in nature. I love the active sort of moving my body that much. I love the sort of really simple goal of, you know, get from point A to point B, don't die. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, it's like, like it. our daily lives, there's so much to do, right? And even if you have your clear priorities, you're still like being pulled in a lot of different directions that you wake up in the morning on a long distance hike. And it's literally just get yourself as far as you can down the trail, the end. And the simplicity of that was incredibly attractive to me. And so there were so many elements of it that I really wanted to love. You know, the trail community, you hear about that all the time, how people form these really tight relationships on trail. And really none of that was my experience. And so I end and I was in so much pain. I had tons of foot pain. I got to the point where I basically couldn't hike without taking ibuprofen. And I just, when I finished that first hike, I was completely wrecked. I mean, my feet were a mess. I was hobbling for a good solid like week afterwards. And I just felt like I had wanted something. Maybe I had romanticized it too much, which I think is, is sometimes common with these types of things. And so as that year sort of wound down and got into the winter and I just kept thinking, I think I want to give it one more shot and do one more long hike. I've learned a bunch. So hopefully, you know, with the experience that I have and having a more realistic idea of what it's going to be like, I just want to try again to see if this is something, if this could be what I want it to be. Um, and cause I just felt like pretty unsatisfied with it. And so I decided to do the Arizona trail, which I did in 2017, which is <laughs> the fact that I thought that the Oregon PCT was hard is hilarious because the Arizona trail is <laughs> so hard. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so it's, it's longer, it's 800 miles. And, um, I did it in the fall. Most people that do it, do it in the spring mm-hmm. because there's more water. I did it in the fall and, I was the only one out there. I mean, not literally, but basically like I would go two, three, four. I think the longest was four and a half days where I didn't see another human. And I had, I mean, I had never gone that long without speaking to somebody else. Like it was, I felt like the sole survivor of the zombie apocalypse, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And so it wasn't until going through, like that was the most acute loneliness I've ever felt in my life. And it was incredibly lonely and incredibly painful. And yet I, whatever I had originally wanted to get out of long distance hiking, I definitely got out of that hike. And so now I'm super stoked on it. And it's definitely something that I want in my life. So, I mean, I guess that's a very long answer to your question of, yes, I was super lonely. And also, yes, I learned to be with myself. And I don't think that one could have happened without the other. It was through going through that intense loneliness and having to make all those decisions by myself and not seeing anyone else. And that I finally could get to the point of, you know, me inside my own head, like that's enough. And I had, like, I have everything that I need. And that was something that I had really never felt, you know, really until the last couple of days in Arizona, I had never felt that in my life. I have you from um, the Arizona trail in the desert on day 31. And you say, it's one of those days that reminds me that this hike is a hike of endurance. Can I endure constant heat and thirst and loneliness, not just for a few hours or a few days, week after week after week? Can I find peace amidst the suffering? When I'm at my lowest, can I be kind to myself? alone out here, can I be my own best friend? I felt like that sort of summed up like the, the misery of it, but also the treasure at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, I don't want to sugarcoat it at all. It was mostly miserable. It was very hard. Um, and I find not to, it's hard because I don't want to glorify suffering, right? Especially not involuntary suffering. That's certainly not what I'm saying. But when you do have privilege and your regular life is relatively comfortable, I think that there's something very powerful and necessary in getting out of that comfort and to 
you know, um, my friend Lauren says it the best. Usually she, she meant it in the context of running, but I think it applies to hiking too, that it's a privilege to be able to choose your suffering. And that's, inc- that's so true. And I do think that that's the way that we, or at least me, that's the way that I learn about myself is through things where there's literally no choice, but to be yeah. on, on and my what edge. Surprise. Um, those of us who have not spent say, I don't know, weeks alone in the, in the desert. Um, what would it surprise us to learn um, about the wilderness? Mm, um, oh, geez. I don't know. Um, you mean, um, what do you mean specifically? I guess I'm asking if there are um, the, the subtleties of the self or the subtleties of the landscape that emerge when you're alone in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I feel like I don't really know how to answer it, but um the thing, one of the things that I like the most about long distance hiking is, and this is probably going to sound pretty cliche, but sort of the reminder of how tiny we are, which is interesting that it's also such an empowering experience. Those maybe don't seem like they go hand in hand, but the Arizona trail goes through the Grand Canyon and that was incredible hiking rim to rim of the Grand Canyon. And just, I mean, talk about otherworldly beauty, alien landscape, you know, being in the base of the Canyon. And I just had this moment of, I mean, then and other times during the hike of just sort of looking around and being like, these rocks have been here, right? Forever. They're going to outlast us by so much. And especially in the, I don't know, like dumpster fire that is sort of not just the political, just like the world in general can feel like so hard and is so hard. And I think we're in a particularly hard time that there is something comforting of I'm tiny, you're tiny, this is going to outlast us all. And I don't know why that gives me so much comfort, yeah, but it, that was it does. the next question was how have the trails changed the way that you view um, the current dumpster fire? <laughs> um. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, one again that I don't know that I have a really good answer to, but I'm very aware of sort of the privilege of even being able to mm-hmm. take a break from things, right? And to be able to do that. Um, and with that said, I think unfortunately there's um sort of an unspoken agreement in, and this isn't just with hiking, but in the outdoor, you know, recreation community of let's just keep things nice. And like, this is where we go to not talk about politics, right? Or something like that. And I think that that's not serving anyone because nature is political. I think everything's political, right? And it's from everything like, you know, protecting public lands to, um, you know, anything environmental to who even has access to natural spaces and, you know, that just sort of, sort of like digging into those questions and whose ancestral land is it anyway? And like, whose land are we hiking on? And I think that there's a lot of questions that it's as much as being in uh, nature doing these kinds of hikes keeps you disconnected from, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, which in some ways I would argue is good because it's great to be informed. And also there's a saturation point at which it's just overwhelmed and then you're not being productive, right? With that information. Um, So that has been helpful for me to sort of get some distance from all of the noise and all of the news and all of the cynical headlines to actually think, okay, what are the couple of causes? What are the things that I care the most about? And then potentially how can I use my platform and skills and privileges to, you know, like move in that direction? And again, I don't have a perfect answer to that either, but it's being able to to just like look at this thing that I love and acknowledge that this sort of story around nature is like, it's for everyone. Everyone has access to it, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you're talking about, um, you know, like the Grand Canyon is a great example, like who can get there? It's expensive. It's sometimes hard to get a camping permit. It's, you know, that um, there's just like a lot of access issues and stuff when it comes to outdoors. And this is just like one tiny thing, but it's, I think made me, more political, I guess, which is not necessarily what I would have thought would have come out of getting into this. And a lot of it has to do with that some of the people that I look up to the most in the outdoor space, like other, especially other female hikers that are really active and have, you know, in a good way, even more radical politics than I do. And that I sort of like aspire to be like them, that I'm looking to them as teachers of, okay, this is how to enjoy this natural space and also make it mean something. So that's something that I'm thinking about a lot this year, especially now that I know that spending, you know, six weeks to 
six months in the, you know, on trails is something that I really would love to be able to somehow work into my life. Um, so sort of thinking about like where creative work and activism and, and spending time outside, like what the intersection <laughs> point is with those things. I mean, I, I, I don't know that there is a capital A answer. Um, you know, it's right now I'm just trying to learn really, like I said, like I'm so lucky the people, some of the people that I follow and that I'm, you know, friends with or acquaintances with, or that I've had on my podcast that speak to these issues and have been doing this work for a really long time. So just trying to look at, okay, you know, like where could I fit into this and be of benefit? Um, and yeah, I don't really know, but it's definitely, I'm thinking about it as I put together my 2018 hiking plans of, okay, how can I make this more than just, you know, person goes into the wilderness, you know, type of thing. So I don't know, but we'll see. I'm sure that will be an evolving thing. I mean, that's an evolving thing for all of us when we pursue the things that we want to pursue, then to decide how to talk about that. Um, Because I think there's lots of reasons that we do the things. Like a lot of the reason that I want to go hiking, it's entirely selfish. It's something that I enjoy. It's something that helps to push me and make me grow. And also I, it plugs into a, a larger narrative and it's up to each of us, like how we use our platform and how we decide That's to share fair. our story. And, uh, you know, well, and, and before I want to draw ask the next to. question, I want to come back to the, the radical political views part and be like, Hey, let me just give you a soapbox and be like, God damn it. Just list everybody listen to this one thing. Cause, um, I think that we have infinite access to an infinite number of causes and uh it can be hard to discern um the ones that it it can just be hard to discern there are fucking billion causes on the planet um and so can you point a direction of um this Mm -hmm. this one thing as a result of my hiking speaks to me far more than it ever did before or this thing breaks my heart or i wish everyone would pay attention to this thing for you know, a second or a minute or a month or a lifetime? Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Of course, there's so many causes. And I think oftentimes that's part of the problem in that we have sort of fatigue from this kind of stuff, which can lead to apathy and the feeling of like, no matter what I do, it's not enough. There's so many things, you know, but it's figuring out what it is that you care about. Or like you said, you know, what breaks your heart or what makes you angry? And kind of moving in that direction. Um, someone whose work that I really love, um, her name's Jenny Brusso, and she runs a community called Unlikely Hikers. And it basically spotlights the underrepresented outdoors person. So, you know, uh, maybe who you wouldn't think of when you open the REI catalog, right? For not to throw REI under the bus, but you know what I mean? Anyone in the outdoors, um, you know, featuring. Uh, people of color, fat folks, trans folks, you know, just like people that you wouldn't necessarily think of in terms of what we're sold of, right. you know, yes. the the rugged outdoors person is, you know, a tall, thin white dude with a beard, <laughs> right? So it's, um, and, uh, you know, she leads group hikes um, for, you know, sort of self-identified um, unlikely hikers and does a lot to... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, work towards uh, like diversifying the outdoors, right? And so I think her work is fantastic. And um, the Unlikely Hikers Instagram is, it's great because she highlights like just lots of different folks. And again, going back to what I was saying before, what I felt through Carrot's book of representation, and there's certainly no shortage of, you know, white women represent, I'm not like dying for representation, right? Like white women are represented, but even just that small thing of, oh, here's someone in their thirties. And I had never met or heard of someone in their thirties that was doing these kind of adventures. And so I think Jenny's community does a really good job of that. So um, especially if anyone is <laughs> listening, who's interested in maybe like outdoorsing, right? I guess I will call it, um, it doesn't have to be hiking and feels, you know, for any reason, like that's not me. Um, her community is a really great place to start, first of all, to learn that you are not alone and that plenty of people do outdoorsing that maybe you wouldn't think. And also, sometimes I hesitate to talk about my experience. And there's plenty of people that do a lot longer hikes than me. And I, I hope to you know push into that realm. But it's really easy to think that you have to do some huge thing or nothing, right? Like I either have to go on a 2000 mile hike or it's worthless. And, you know, the, some of the stuff that, um, that Jenny features, they're, you know, people that are doing a couple miles or this kind of thing, that it doesn't have to be this, um, really big, sexy adventure or nothing at all. Thank you for that. And um, I do want to talk a bit more about the juxtaposition or the places where they intersect of being a human with a you know wildly successful podcast, which lives nowhere but online, and a person who disconnects for weeks and weeks to sweat and hike in the desert. And um, 
do you worry about one when you're in the middle of the other? And how do you play with, um, I don't want to use the word balance, but how do you play with living the both end of there's the wild, the offline and the technological, the online in your everyday life? Yeah, I think I would be unhappy if it was all of one or all of the other. Um, so I think sort of the, ex- they, they, op- they occupy two ends of a spectrum, right? Like I think that they are really different and I think that I need both. So, you know, the, so much of what I get from the podcast because it's interview based, you know, it's getting to connect with and hear from incredible folks like you, um, you know, and that, there's something in really nourishing for me about that, about having those conversations. And, you know, it, the, um, the podcast is, is unique in that it's, um, listener funded. So we have a great community of people. And so it's just like constant connection. Um, and since the show isn't topic specific, you know, really the connection is people just being honest about their lives. It's just this. I feel like every single day it reminds me, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who is, you know, worried about being liked or that feels imposter syndrome doing a new project or, you know, any of these things that we feel like I'm the only one who feels this way. It's like so cute, right? Like you're not a special snowflake. Everyone has all the same fears. Mm-hmm. And that, um, so from the podcast and the online work, because connecting in person is of course wonderful, but the reach that you have online, you know, we had a Google hangout for one of the levels of my Patreon community the other day. And it was, you know, me and Bend Oregon, and it was someone, um, on the East Coast in Virginia, and then it was someone in New Zealand that that just wouldn't happen without you know the the internet essentially. So I feel like that kind of connection and story sharing and all that is so wonderful. And also, I need to be forced into spending time alone and you know having these kinds of growth experiences that I don't know that it has to be hiking or that it has to be you know weeks alone in nature. I think there's, as I learned, like running filled the need until it didn't, and maybe hiking will fill the need until it doesn't. I think there can be other iterations. It's just that I uh, sort of growth and pushing myself is a personal value that's very um, that I hold very deeply, and this just happens to be sort of the the current iteration of it. And so you know when I'm out there, I feel like it's like I need one to recharge the other. It was funny in Arizona because I spent so much time alone, um, I found myself thinking a ton about, you know, what I want to do with the podcast or, you know, what I want to do as a writer and these kind you know, that there's no shortage of, um, I guess, creative brainstorm time, you know, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also found some, the thing that surprised me the most about doing the Arizona trail, I, um, uh, chronicled it on Instagram where I would do um, a daily, I guess I'll call them mini blog posts, right? I didn't know that Instagram captions had a, a word limit until I kept hitting it. And I was like, damn it, how do I change this? But um, so it was sort of like one post per day. And I, it was the most connected that I had felt to my writing in a really long time. Like there was just something about being like in this sort of wild, feral, dirty state out there that made me have even less of a filter than usual. And that made me care less about what people thought than usual. And it was, that was great. So it was sort of like a, an unexpected thing that this sort of disconnected thing wound up turning into what I felt like was some of the best writing I had done in a really long time. And I don't know. So they, they inform each other definitely. And I'm definitely an extreme person. I like extremes. So if I'm, you know, doing all of this, you know, work on the podcast for however many months, and then I want to completely stop doing it and do something totally different before I come back to it. And so that serves me pretty well. I like it. I like the needing one to recharge the other. Um, and I want to talk about that wild, feral, dirty state, and then come back to what you mentioned that, um, that for the first, at least some portion of your life, drinking was a way to numb and disconnect from your body. And so in the span of this conversation, we've gone from Nicole must quit drinking or or bad things are going to happen, I presume, um, because we want to completely disconnect. And then Nicole has accessed this wild, feral, dirty state. And um, it's, it's such a juxtaposition and it's such a lovely thing to be like, yeah, I was totally disconnected. And then like, I'm dirty and I haven't showered in God knows how long and I haven't seen another human in four days. And, um, I just want to ask when you felt like you had reconnected with your body. Um, and how does it feel to be in there now? And how do you stay connected with it when you are not like out there for weeks on end, pushing your edges? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that last question that you asked is a question that I'm asking myself because I have no answer um, because I haven't found a good way to do it. It almost feels my life at home is so different from my life on trail in basically every way that you can imagine that I really haven't, other than a lasting sense of sort of self-reliance and you know, latent confidence and this deepening of this belief that we can do hard things, um, which I believed anyway. And then this hike sort of drove home for me for sure. That's really like a guiding mantra for myself that has stayed with me from hiking, but everything else has not. Um, I'm much more sedentary in my regular life. And so I don't really know because I think, honestly, I think that's part of the draw of why I'm excited to get back out on trail this year is because you, you can't bring it home with you really. And maybe, Hey, if someone's listening has like figured this out, please send me an email and like, tell me all your secrets because I don't know. But I think that's part of the struggle. And part of the desire is that I have never felt more connected to not just my, but like, you know, mind, body, soul, like the whole thing working in tandem as I did in Arizona. And that was mostly in points of misery. I think when I, when I used to hear People talk about it a lot that love yoga and I don't love yoga, but this idea of being connected to your body and it always sounded like this very sort of beautiful, flowy experience. And maybe for some folks that's the case, but I actually found that it was through some of the pain and the suffering and the, I don't want to keep going, but I have to keep going because I need to get to the next water source, you know, feelings that made me not not just connected to my body, but appreciative of my body. Like, oh, I, even though I'm not in the mood to do this, I can do this and I can carry everything that I need on my back and I can get myself up this mountain and I can push my body through all of these overgrown thorns and come out on the other side covered in blood and like screaming, like literally screaming. And I can do this. And there was, I don't know, it just, it's hard not to be connected to your body when you're doing something that's really physical. So maybe that's the next evolution for me is figuring out how to have more of that sort of deep, continuous connection with my body, with myself, without having to be in these extreme situations in order to feel it. I don't know. That would be great. If I could learn, <laughs> if I learn those lessons, I will come back and tell them to you because right now, um, and you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes I hesitate you know, we want to have the answers, right? Like we want to be able to say, well, you know, these three things are what helps me to stay connected to whatever. And that's great if you do have the answers to share. But I think, or at least I try to tell myself that there is something valuable in being honest about not having the answers to that I really don't know. And um, I would like to find out. And so, uh, you know, maybe with each, the thing, the thing with long distance hiking, because I was so new to it and I knew, nothing. I had never set up a tent in my life, right? That there's such a, like a steep learning curve. There's so many things that, you know, how do I filter water? How do I, you know, all the things that I think the more, you know, and the more experience you gain and, you know, the better your skill set gets, maybe the more mental and emotional energy there is to put towards some of these other larger questions. And so I'm interested to see as I get more experience and as it's not just <laughs> a, oh my God, I don't want to die, <laughs> you know, type of thing that you're able to process more of this type of, I guess, like higher level stuff that we're talking about. So maybe at this time next year, you know, I will have more answers. I'm um, sure you will, but, but I do want to we'll talk see. about your existential journaling questions that I copied and pasted directly from your blog. Um, so any of these that you want to answer are fine. I'm just going to read your own questions back to you. And these were before you did Arizona. So I'm sure that you have like oh, wise and genius answers at the ready. Um, so, uh, what you asked yourself, so you've gotten off a trail and you're like, these are the things that I'm going to be concerning myself with in terms of journaling. What does it mean to live a bold and courageous life? How do our beliefs about ourselves keep us trapped? How do we change when change is hard? How can I leave the world better than I found it? Where can I have the most impact and do the most good? Where am I still seeking outside validation? And how can I let that go? Man, those are good questions. Right? They are. <laughs> I'm a good question asker. I don't know that I have the answers, but I'm good at asking the questions. <laughs> um, is there anything in there that you're more interested in? Where you want to go like one thing I at a time? The, um, I think with you, how do our beliefs about ourselves keep us trapped? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we are inherently storytellers, even if we don't like people in general, I think are storytellers. And I think that the most important stories are the ones that you tell about yourself to yourself. And they're often not very conscious and yet they can be conscious if we're willing to sort of dig a little bit. And I, 
had so many stories about, you know, I'm not an outdoors person. I'm not an athletic person. I can't do things alone. I need the support of other people. You know, a lot of sort of the themes that have come up already in this conversation. And so being able to recognize, and that was part of the reason that I went on the hiking, you know, started hiking to begin with was I didn't want those stories to be true. I didn't want it to be true that I only do things that I know that I'm going to be good at. Um, I didn't want it that part. I mean, with, with Arizona, the main reason that I wanted to do that hike is because I didn't believe that I could do that hike. And yeah, I'm grateful that I finished it and I feel really proud and accomplished, but I truly, there was, I mean, there's such a high possibility for failure, right? Like a lot of the people that start long distance hikes don't finish them for any number of reasons. And so just the fact that I had decided to try this thing that I legitimately didn't know that I could finish, that was in an effort to change some of the stories, you know, that I told about myself that, you know, I only do, I only start things that I know that I'm going to be able to finish or, you know, that I need to be good at things, or I don't know that I need people to understand. There's plenty of people that don't understand, you know, why I would want to do something like that, or that don't value it, or, you know, that anything that you do that's sort of outside the mainstream can catch criticism from people. And what if I did it anyway? And what if I didn't care as much, you know, what people thought about that? And so these were all the questions that sort of pushed me to do it. And I think, you know, sure, we can change our stories through words or through affirmations, you know, you know, if every morning you wake up and, you know, you want to tell yourself that, you know, you're brave or strong or, you know, whatever the thing is, I think that that can work. But in my experience, the only way to really change your story is through action. And so that was a lot of what this hiking was, that if I want to be someone who is brave. It's like the Annie Dillard quote, you can't, what does she say? You can't test courage cautiously, I think <laughs> is the quote. It's fair. And like, it's like, you can't, right? Like you can think about things all day long, but if I want to be someone who is courageous, that I don't think that's a, you know, that's a binary thing that you either are or you aren't. I think that it's a skill that can be learned and that it can be practiced. And so a lot of the, you know, the story changing came down to who do I want to be, right? And circling back to what we were talking about, about activism or about anything else, you know, uh, if I want to be more bold in that area of my life, I think things we want to compartmentalize, right? Like this is what I do in the outdoors. This is what I do as a friend. This is what I do in my business. This is what I do as an activist or whatever that they're, but they're not separate. You know, the, the more bold that you can be in one area, I, I have found that that bleeds over. And so, you know, any action that you can take that can start to dismantle a belief that you have about yourself that's not serving you, I think that it's surprising how that then carries over into other areas, which I have definitely found to be true. I I mean, of course, I definitely still care way too much about what other people think. I think that's common. Everyone does. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to be liked. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> we'll see. But the long distance hiking has definitely helped. Um, and so I guess in that regard, I was right that that was a, sort of an action to take to start to dismantle some of that story. It's beautiful. And again, I want to emphasize that you do not have to hike hundreds of miles by yourself in order to change your story. <laughs> no. But I mean, I think that's where self-honesty comes in. It's like you have to, what would be challenging for you? Or, you know, if you tell yourself one story, okay, what's one tiny thing that you could do that would essentially disrupt that story? It's like, I mean, that's like cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's like, what are the thought patterns? And then how can you sort of disprove those things? And yeah. And that's what I mean about not, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to do this, this huge, enormous thing. That is currently my path. And that's because those are my interests. It's something that I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of other things in order to do. And it's something that I'm in the position in my life that I'm able to do that. And, but that's not the only way. And it's, you know, in other times in my life, it was smaller things, you know, or private things or quiet things or, you know, but it's just being willing to be like, huh, this thing that I tell myself about who I am is only true until I decide otherwise. And, you know, that it's up to you to be able to, it's not, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Right? Like, it's not like, oh, I decided well, no to change one, my story no and then it's changed. Like, no, it's easy. hard. That's not, that is not a concern here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but it's, it's less about that, that I think sometimes in the like positive psychology, you know, mindset space, there is this idea of like, just think differently and things will be different. And in my experience, that is not the case. You know, I am sort of continuing to unlearn the same lessons over and over and over and over again. And to the point where I'm like, aren't I done? Didn't I already learn this? Aren't I done with this? But there's always like a different layer, right? It's not like a smooth, easy process. Change is hard. And it often does not happen in a linear way. And 
I I just like value that process and want to be continually engaged in pushing myself, even if that's in like really tiny ways. It doesn't have to be, you know, a right. two thousand mile hike. I think that's a good place to end it. That's a beautiful, beautiful place to sort of dig in and and like I don't have words. See, that's what it's done is that I'm trying to think about it while talking to you and it's not going to work. But um, <laughs> I think that's really, really fantastic. And if people are like, my God, I love her. I fucking need to uh, to hear more from her. Where do we go? How do we give you dollars? How do we work with you? How do we get to hug your face? Like what, how do we do this? Um, yeah, I like hugs. Hugs are great. Um, so the podcast is called Real Talk Radio, but basically you can find everything at NicoleAntoinette.com. That's kind of the home base for the podcast. Um, links to writing, including my hiking blog and the Patreon community. Um, basically anything, anything that you want can be found there. So NicoleAntoinette.com, I would say. And I mean, I, I like making <laughs> friends with new people on the internet as much as that sounds like something my mother would not like me to say. Um, so if you have questions or if you want to basically talk about hiking with someone who was a complete beginner, anything, um, feel free to reach out to me. Fantastic. And do you know where you're hiking this year or is it still up for grabs? Um, I do know I'm not, well, it's funny. I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I guess this is as good a place as any. Um, I, unless something crazy, crazy happens in the next couple of months, um, either with the snow or with me physically, I am going to southbound hike the PCT. Oh, good. Well, that's only, I mean, that's only what, 2,500 miles? It's only 2,650. That's nothing. That's nothing. So, I mean, and I, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I applied for the permit last week and, um, yeah, it feels exciting and also terrifying. So yeah, that's my plan. I will, uh, be hiking the PCT hopefully well, this year. Congratulations. That's amazing. I mean, I'm congratulating. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we'll see right now. Right now it feels like insane. It's slightly <laughs> insane, but also amazing. I mean, it, um, to have a person go from, to have a story go from, I'm not thinking I disconnect with my body constantly to, yeah, I'm going to be southbound hiking the PCT, you know, I mean, it's, it's this tremendous trajectory of growth that has happened in what, under a decade, right? So like, just, yeah. I, I yeah. just want to celebrate. Yeah, I, quit, I quit drinking. Yeah. May 1st, 2011. So, um, I will start the PCT a couple months after my seven year soberversary. So change is possible. It's, you know, it's funny. The last thing I'll say, I often need that reminder for myself because of course change is hard. And oftentimes when we're trying to make a change from a place of pain, which I only ever change when the pain of not changing outweighs the fear of making the change. <laughs> that's like, I wish it wasn't the case, but that's the case. And it feels like it's never going to happen or that change is never going to be possible. And I mean, come May of this year, it will have been seven years and seven years is a long time, but also, holy shit, your whole life can change if you literally just take one small action. Like if I, I just didn't drink and then I just kept not drinking and okay, right? Like that's a place to start. And that change, I don't know, I need that reminder often that change is possible, like not just for me, but for everyone. And even if it is not pretty or not linear, that it's possible. And yeah, I don't know, that gives me a, a lot of comfort. a gorgeous way to think of it. And you have not in any way inspired to try hiking. Um, but I do, I am thinking about like, what is a goal that I would be like, oh God, there's just no fucking way I can possibly even begin to do that. And uh Start there. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean that's the thing. It doesn't. Ha it certainly doesn't have to be hiking, right? Like, and, and that's why I mean, like, not to romanticize it. Like, long distance hiking is bullshit. It's so hard, right? It's not for everyone. But it's like being honest with yourself about what would that goal look like for me, and something that someone else might be super passionate about it would never be interesting to me. And that's what's awesome, right? Like, people are into different things. But I do think it there's value in sort of adopting this mindset of like we can do hard things, like something can be hard and also you can do it, that it's not an either or it's like you said before, like a both and that it can be hard and also I can do it. And what would happen if I just tried? Perfect. That's the perfect place to end. And again, NicoleAntoinette.com, you want to go there, you want to become a patron and you want to give her all the love. Thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And we'll rise up. I like the way Do it a thousand times again
That's what she said. <laughs>